Hello, everybody. Welcome to, this is the eighth shir we're giving on Tanakh and in Yana Diyayma. And the topic tonight is the miraglim that Yeshua sent, the spies that Yeshua sent, Rachav Hazayna, and the beginning of Nevi'im. This was the Haftarah of Parshish Shlach, which was not this past week's parasha, but the previous week's parasha. The parasha of Shlach talks about the miraglim that Moshe Rabbeinu sent, and the Haftarah is the story of the miraglim that Yeshua sent. The Sefer Yeshua is largely dedicated to the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. How Klal Yisrael, under the leadership of Yeshua, conquered the whole of Eretz Yisrael and then proceeded to divide it up. And this is the start. It begins with Perak Beis. Perak Aleph is where HaKadosh Baruch Hu transfers the leadership, the mantle of leadership from Moshe to Yeshua. And Perik Beis begins the conquest. And how does the conquest begin? Yeshua sends spies. He sends two Muraglim. And the story, as we'll see, and we'll see how much time we have to get to this, get through this, but the story is fascinating from many different vantage points, and it gives us a glimpse, a window, into understanding how the conquest of Eretz Yisrael proceeded, how that happened, how that went down. And it also gives us an idea of what the era of Nevi'im was like. What was the expectation that Hashem had of a Jew who lived during the period of Nevi'im? And this parak, which opens Nevi'im, gives us a little bit idea, a little bit of an idea about that. So I'm going to uh, share a couple of psukim here. I'm going to share the screen, a couple of psukim in Yeshua. And then uh, we'll translate, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. We got the right one. There's a few sh- um, screens we're going to be sharing. Okay, here it is. So, ends over here. Yishlach, Perik Beis, you can see where my pointer is. Perik Beis, Pasuk Aleph, Yishlach Yeshua Ben-Nun Menashitim. So Yeshua Ben-Nun sent from Shitim, which is on the other side of the Yardin, where they were after Moshe Rabbeinu's death, he passed away. Shnayim Anashim Raglam. He sent two men who were going to be spies. Um, cheresh, and he sent them secretly, which means he didn't tell anybody. Lemar, l'chu ru'u es'aretz, go look at the land, es Yerichai. Yerichai was this first city they were going to conquer. So he had them check out Yerichai. Vayelchu, they went, vayavayu beis isha zayna, and they came to the house of a woman who was a zayna, which simply means, according to Chazal, uh, she was a, a zayna, she was mezana with people for her living. And her name was Rachav. And they slept there. And they were immediately, they were caught on. People became aware of their, of their presence. They became wise to them. So it was told to the king of Rechai. 
May people came here tonight, to spy out the land. So he, they even knew where they were. So the Malachi sent Rachav a message, bring, uh, take out these people that came to your house, Asher Bau, that came to your house because they came to to spy out the whole land. Now, Rachav does a, a, a startling thing. She took the two men, and she hid them. Now, here it uses a Lashen Yachid, she hid him. What happened to the other one? There were two people. So Chazal say uh, an amazing thing over here. Chazal say, who are these two spies that aren't mentioned by name? The two spies were Pinchas, Pinchas ben Elazar ben Aaron Akain, Pinchas, the famous Pinchas, and Kalev, who had been, uh, this was his second round as a spy, Pinchas and Kalev. And when she hid them, all, the only person she needed to hide was Kalev. Pinchas said, it's not necessary to hide me because I'm compared to a malach, compared to an angel, and I can choose whether I want to be seen or not. So she only had to hide Kalev, and Pinchas decided not to be seen. So that wasn't an issue. By the time Cain, and she went and hid them, and then she replied to the king, Cain, it's true, I don't know where they came from. And as they were about to close the gates of the city, at night, and the men left. I don't know where they went. Run after them quickly, because you will catch up to them. So she effectively sent them on a wild goose chase. So here, Rachel Azayna did something very unusual. She betrayed her people. She betrayed her nation. She betrayed a city that she lived in and that she grew up in and, and that she worked in uh, her whole life. Why would she do that? What, what caused her to have this sudden change of, of heart? I mean, till this point, she was of the lowest, basest, most degraded people in society, uh, even today. This is considered from the, the lowest echelons of society, people like this. And she chooses to betray her own people. Why? So she took them up to the, to the roof. And she hid them in flax that she had there. They were spread out on the, on the um, roof. They were being chased, following the Yarden, where the bridges, after the people who were chasing them left, they, they locked the doors of the city. And it was before they went to sleep, and she came up, Rachel came up to them, onto the, to the roof, and she told the women, the men, I know that Hashem has given you the land. And the fear of you, Klai Yisrael, has fallen upon us. And everybody is melting in front of you. We heard about the miracle of the Yamsuf. When you left Mitzrayim. And what you did to the two kings of Amoiri. We destroyed them. And we heard, and we be, our, our hearts melted away. And no one has the strength to face you. 
Hashem, your God is the God. So here is a an amazing uh, acceptance of Jewish faith. Rachav Hazaina now became world's top maimon. Right? She says, Hashem Aleikechem, Hu Aleikim, Hashemayim Aleikim, Mitochas, the battle cry of every Jew. My Israel, Hashem Aleikim, Hashem Achad. So now, after she makes this declaration, she asks them for a favor. I saved your lives, you saved me, saved my life. Ati Shavli, swear to me, Hashem, I've done a chesed with you, and you saved me, not only me, but me and my, my whole household. So I'm going to skip a couple of psukim here, where she just goes through the whole uh, deal with them, and then she tells them, to leave. So we're up to Pasuk Tezvav here. And she lowered them with a rope out the window. Why? Her house was in the wall, built in the wall itself. So she was able to lower them out of the window to outside the city. And she, she told them, Go hide yourself in the, in the mountain. You might get caught. Then you can go on. Okay, I'm going to skip again a few psukim here. And they come back after this all happens and they report to uh, Yeshua ben Nun that this passage over here, um, top, top of the page, they came down from the mountain, and they came to Yeshua ben Nun, and they told him everything that happened to them. And they told Yeshua, Hashem has given us the whole land. And the whole, all the people, all the dwellers of the, the land and the city, are fear, they fear us. They fear us. So that's the story. That's what we have here. The, to summarize, what did it say here? The Meragam entered Yerichai. To, ostensibly to spy in Yerichai, and they went to the home of Rachav HaZayna, Rachav, the world-renowned Zayna. The Gemara says that her reputation as a Zayna was so intense that any man that knew her, at the mention of her name alone, went and did an aver. That's how much she was synonymous with Znus. And of all places, this is where the Miraga went. And Rachel goes ahead and willingly betrays her people. She sends the, the soldiers of the king on a wild goose chase. And in return, she asks that he gets, she gets saved and her family gets saved. And she gives herself over to become a ger, a gyres. And that's what happens. After she gets saved, she converts, her whole family converts. They become Jews. And she goes on to become none, no less than the wife of Yeshua Benun. We're talking about from rags to riches. She goes from being the lowest person in society, in the lowest society that ever existed, the Canaanim, who the greatest person possible, the wife of Yeshua ben Nun, the wife of the leader of Kaliosra. And they go, after they finish their, their job, Yeshua, and, I mean, uh, Kalev and Pinchas, and they report to Yeshua ben Nun, and they say, they're all scared of us. So this story is fascinating, and it creates many questions, which if we try to understand what's going on here, we'll get a very good picture of how the conquest of Eretz was going to proceed and what it was like to live in the time of the Nevi'im. So first obvious question that everybody asks, everybody asks, is why in the world did Yeshua send Miraglim? Look what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. That was a big flop, right? That was a disaster. He sent Miraglim, and that, would cause, that caused the whole downfall of Kalyus or the Dara Midbar. That's why they had to wander around the middle for 40 years. It was terrible. Akadosh Baruch Hu didn't want him to send. Akadosh Baruch Hu said, if you do it, do it on your own. 
What's going on here? Why would Yeshua send Meraglim? Number two, what did these Meraglim accomplish, right? The purpose was to go and spy out Yericha and maybe figure out a way in or a way out or, or, or its strengths. They did nothing of the sort. They went in, they had a little schmooze with Rachav Azaina after you know, hiding for their lives, and they came right back out. So what, what, what was the big accomplishment? What was the purpose of this whole spy mission? What did it do? And when you think about it, they, they spied out Yerichai for what purpose? If we learn the Tanakh later, how was Yerichai captured? It's well known. They circled the walls of Yerichai, which were impenetrable. They were impenetrable walls. The walls were as wide as they were high. So it means if they were 30 feet high, they were 30 feet wide. It was, it was a block of, of stone. It was impenetrable. And, and uh, they, they, they surrounded the city and they circled it seven times and then they blew shifers and they davened and Malachim danced on top of the walls and they sunk straight into the ground. So they didn't take too much spying to, to figure out this particular uh, method of conquest, right? It wasn't much for Israel to do. They just stood on, on the outskirts and watched it happen on its own. So what was the purpose of the whole spying business? And, and like we mentioned, like, why would they have ended up in Rachav HaZayna's inn of all places? And what happened over here with Rachel? How did she become such a total change of heart, change of, of lifestyle, change of, uh, of her whole um, profession, her whole industry? All of it. She gave it all up in an instant. I was Makabal Omachal Shemaim and became such a true Giyaris that she became the wife of Yeshua Ben Nun. How did that happen? What inspired her? And what does this all teach us about how the conquest of Eretz Shah proceeded? and what it was like to live in the time of the Nevi. So in order to understand what's going on here, if you look through in the Mepharshim, how they explain this, there were different eras in Klai Yisrael's history. This can probably be subdivided in many different parts, but there was the Dara Midbar, and that was the whole period of time that Klai Yisrael were under the leadership of Moshe Rabbeinu. There was then the Nevi'im, which spanned the whole Bayes Rishon. And then there was Bayashani, which was the Chazal on Shekinesa Hakadayla, but it was not Nevi'im. It was Balaruch HaKadosh, it was Ksuvim, but not Nevi'im. And Yeshua was somewhere in the middle. He was transferring from the status of Klai Yisrael as Dara Midbar to settling them into the Eretz Yisrael and moving them into the time of the Nevi'im. Yeshua gave over to the Nevi'im. They explained that when when the Klai Yisrael wanted Muraglim, they wanted spies, and they were the Dor HaMidbar, and they were living in a way that defied Teva. There was nothing natural about their existence in the Midbar. They lived with Hashem. They lived with Hashem. It wasn't Hashem was in the Beis HaMikdash. It wasn't that his presence was visible in Beis HaMikdash at certain times. His presence was visible, openly, physically visible at all times. There was Anane HaKavit. There was Mun, daily. There was Slav. There was Moshe Rabbeinu daily teaching them Taira from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, being giving over messages from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They lived in existence of open display of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. They lived in HaKadosh Baruch Hu's embrace. And that sort of living, that form of closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands one level of betachen, a unique level of betachen, a level of betachem which wasn't really paralleled from there on and couldn't be paralleled from there on, 
but it also required them. It dem- was demanded of them. And the level of the tachin that was demanded of them was similar to everything else that was going on in the Midbar, meaning they were not creating food on their own. They did nothing to create food. The food fell in Hashemayim. They did nothing about their clothing. Their clothing was taken care of by Nanak Kavit. They did very little to protect themselves. That Nanak Kavit protected them. So they did not take any of their physical responsibilities upon themselves. It was all cared for by a Kaddish Baruch Hu, And they had to just let go, which was a difficult thing. And when it came to conquering Eretz Yisrael, it was expected of them that they would proceed the same way. They would proceed giving over the keys to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you're feeding us, you're leading us, you're protecting us, and you're going to take over Eretz Yisrael for us. And if you look, there's a, a Pusik and a Rashi in Devarim, which I will show you here. I'll screen share if I can find it. Seem to be having an issue finding it. Oh, here we go. Okay. So the Pasik says, the Pasik in Dvarm, Nasati Look, I have put the land in front of you. Boyu, this is before the Miraglam. This is uh Rabbeinu recounting the story before the Miraglam happened. Boyu come Urushuas and inherit the land. To your fathers, to give to them and their children afterwards. Look at Rashi. Rashi here says, and Pasiches. Boyu Urushu, right? Take a look at this Rashi. Boyu Urushu, ain ma'ar b'davar. No one is going to stand up against you. Ve'ain cham tzrichim l'molcham. You won't even need to wage a war to, to conquer Eretz Yisrael. Ilu lo'yishalchum meraglam. They have not have sent them raglam. Ve'hayu tzrichim l'klizayin. They would not have needed weapons. They would not have needed weapons. They would have conquered Eretz Yisrael without lifting a sword. Without lifting a sword. This is an amazing, an amazing Rashi to understand that if not they would have not they sent them Raglam, if they would have allowed things to progress the way a Kaddish Baruch Hu was taking care of them in the Midbar, the way a Kaddish Baruch Hu was enveloping them, he was, he was taking care of their every need and there was nothing, it wasn't about him. It wasn't about, it wasn't about them. They had to, there was nothing they needed to do. And they would have continued that way they would have gone straight into Eretz Yisrael that way, with absolutely no fight. Every all the, the what would have happened to the not the Gaim in Eretz Yisrael? A number of different things could have happened. There was one nation called the Girgashi that simply got up and fled. They fled. They went to Africa, other part of Africa, North Africa, and they fled. They left the land open for Eretz for Klai Yisrael to take. Look, when Klai Yisrael fought the Mitzrayim, did they fight? Did they do anything? Did they lift a sword against the Mitzrayim? Nothing. They went into the Yamsuf, and then Yamsuf swept them away. Even think of Avram Avinu. When Avram Avinu fought the five Malachim, the four Malachim, what did Chazal say? Did he have a sword? Did he have a spear? He had dirt. He took dirt and he threw it, and it turned into swords and spears. When you are living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Klizayin 
are superfluous. They're not necessary. They're not important. Now, there's an interesting thing, and this gives a little bit of an understanding of how this kind of betachem works. When Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim, it says, V'chamushim alu b'nei Yisrael me'eretz Mitzrayim. Klai Yisrael left Eretz Mitzrayim, Chamushim, Chamushim Rashi says, Pashub Shat, is they were armed. They were armed. They took weapons with them. Now, they didn't use those weapons too much. <laughs> they didn't, they, they, they stood, their swords stood very, very nicely on their side while Kaddish Baruch Hu was Na'ashem Nilchom Lachem Mitzrayim. Atem Dachrishim, you be quiet, Kaddish Baruch Hu was going to take care of Mitzrayim. But nevertheless, they took swords. So why did they do that? Why did they take swords? Rabbeinu B'chai explains that this is a concept of Betachen as well. Let's see if I can show you that screen, Rabbeinu B'chai. Rabbeinu B'chai is on in Parshas Vayishlach, uh, I'm sorry, Bishalach. So here it's Chachamushim Alu Bnei Yisrael. Al Derech Hapshat, Yotu Yisrael Mi Mitzrayim, Chalutzim Ka'anshe Tzav HaYetzim Mohammed. Pashim Shad is, Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim armed like uh, warriors who go out to war. Ba'afo Pisha Ein Yisrael Kishar Ho'amim. Jews aren't like other nations. She Yutrichim Lehizdayin Kenegad Ha'ayim. They don't have to uh, arm themselves against their enemies. Derech the derech of the Torah is letzavis to command us. She is snag adam b'miktas b'derech hateva v'hamikra. A person should act. He should compose himself in a way that appears teviyizdig. V'achikan yiflonas, and then allow the nays to happen. So, in other words, he said they went out wearing weapons. It was symbolic. It was important that there should be a certain appearance of Teva because that's the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu ran this world. Nothing is open. Nothing is a thousand percent open. So he wanted them to take weapons. But <laughs> the weapons stay by your side. They stay in the, the sword, stays in its, uh, in, in its holder. In sheath. Uh, the sword stays in its sheath. The arrows stay in the quiver. And don't take it out, but wear it. Take it with you. One of the wars of, uh, I believe this was I, he said, uh, create a, uh, a, a group of soldiers that should go behind the city and there'll be, a, there'll be lakes. Um, an ambush. And with Claudius, who at that time were used to, what do they need to have an ambush? wants it to be done that way. You should act with whatever is normal to do. And then everything else leave in the hands of Shemayim. Have your sus ready, have your horse ready for the Muhammad, but leave out to Hashem to, to fight the war. We are obligated to prepare our armaments, then will take over. So, so what Rabbeinu B'chai is explaining to us is that Klal Yisrael was expected to go to war in Eretz Yisrael as follows. Take your weapons, wear your sword, put on your armor, look really bright and shiny and impressive, and then don't lift a finger. Leave it up to HaKadosh Baruch which would mean there's no planning, there's no strategies, there's no generals and war rooms, none of that. There's no taking stock of the enemy and taking stock of your own and figuring out plans. No. 
do the minimal amount of establish, carry your weapons into war, and that's it. And you're not even going to need them. You're not going to need to lift a single weapon. And this is what is expected from Klai well. Now, Now, to expect that of a nation is, is very hard to wrap our minds around. To go to war and just sit there like this, that takes a tremendous, uh, a mind-staggering amount of betachen. And it was expected of them. But they demanded miraglam. And their demanding of miraglam had within it a lack of betachen. The malbim and the maharshan, mesechta saita, daflamadalaram base, they explained that there was a very notable difference between the miraglam that Yeshua sent and the miraglam that Moshe Rabbeinu sent. And they, the album says there's many as five differences, we have to go into all of them. But he comments on the language, which is very relevant. The Pasik by the Miraglam of Maisha calls them Torim Esa Aretz. Torim, as in modern Hebrew, means like to sightsee. Torim means to examine, to uh, take stock of the whole land of Eretz Yisrael. Whereas the Miraglam that Yeshua sent was Vayachbru Esa Aretz, to spy. The Miraglam that Moshe Rabbeinu sent, there were 12. Yeshua only sent two. The Marashah says Moshe really only wanted to send two. He wanted to do the same thing Yeshua did. He only wanted to send two. He didn't want to send 12. What do you need 12 for? Two is fine. But Klai Yisrael had something else in mind. Klai Yisrael wanted Torim. They weren't so convinced Eretz Yisrael was such a great place. They weren't so convinced Eretz Yisrael was worth the effort that it would take them both in bitachin and both in physical effort, to conquer it. They didn't trust Hashem. There was a lack of bitachin there. So they wanted representatives of each shevet who they trusted to go along and check it out and make sure it's good. Those were, that's where Tarim and that's why there were 12. And that was not okay. That was a lack of bitachin. What Yeshua did, what Moshe would have wanted to do, is to send two Muraglim. That was symbolic. To send two Muraglim to... Just check out to see what's the right way to get into your Rechai. That was like just carrying your Klezain on your, on your waist. That was the extent of what they were doing. What did they actually do, these Muraglam? And that's where it really gets fascinating, this story. And it gives us, again, a glimpse into how this Muhammad really took place. How, what exactly was the Muhammad when Kali Yisrael fought in Eretz Yisrael? They went, and they went specifically to the most depraved place in Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael was Eretz Canaan. The Canaanim were, were sunk into Tumah, which is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that their time is up. They got spit out, thrown up by Eretz Yisrael. It was, Eretz Yisrael was disgusted by them. And this was the most disgusting woman in Eretz Yisrael. She had been a Zaina her whole life, from, from when she was 10 years old. She had a reputation, as I said before, as Chazal say. And she was doing it up till this point. It wasn't like, you know, she was just, it was a long tshuva process. There was not. She was doing it up till this point. What happened was is that the Miraglam Yeshua, Pinchas and Kalev came and slept in her inn that night. And guests of her inn were entitled to a free perk. <laughs> they got services of the 
of the maitre d. That was part of the deal. And they, Pinchas and, and Kalev, withstood this. And Rashi brings down Yeshua later in Paragvav that this was a big deal. This was a big deal. If it is someone that has such tumma, such a power of tumma, that the whole world came running after her, understand that it was a Nisayan. But they withstood it. Because they were Malachim. The Pasik calls them Malachim. And that's the Pasik that Rashi learns it, learns, um, it from. Let's see if I can share that one. Um, this is Dvarim. This is Yeshua. This, I believe, is the right one. No, not the right one. This should be the right one. Um, yes, so Pasik Chavbeis. And the two men who, who spied out the land, uh, it says that they, they, they kept to their deal with Rachel. And the next Pasuk says, And the Na'orim, which kind of connotes a younger age, came. So first it calls them Anashim, and then it calls them Na'orim. Pasuk Chabez, it says, And in Pasuk Chagimel, it says, So Rashi says in Pasuk Chagimel, they had to work quickly. But the first night, they were like angels. They protected themselves from sinning with Rachav That's why they were called in Perik Beis that we saw before. They were referred to as Malachim. And that's why they call Anashim, Malachim, Na'arim. That's why they have all these different kinds of descriptions. They were Malachim. They were as angels. So Rachav Hazaina, in her, the depths of her depravity, in the depths of her, her Tumah, she was exposed to two Malachim. She was exposed to angels who, with their Kedusha, could withstand her tumma, withstand her advances. And this was something she never saw before. It was something she never experienced before. And being witness to what it means to be a godly person, what it means to have the Shekhinah rest upon you. Pinchas was a literal malach, a literal angel, someone who actually carried the presence of a Kaddish Baruch with him wherever he went. She saw what it means. To be a Jew. And then the war was won right there. Here you had the epitome of Tumah, which was the power of Canaan. That was the only power they had against Eretz Yisrael. Physical power was nothing. That wasn't the physical war that was going to be fought. Even after they sent the Miraglim, it still wasn't a physical war. It was nace after nace after nace. They had to just put more effort because they wanted to do more effort. Takaj Baruch said, do you want to do more effort? So you'll do more effort. You want to fight? You'll fight. But it was still with Nisim and Eflois. And the fight was a spiritual fight. And the first battle was won right now. Pinchas exposed themselves, exposed their nature to Rachav Azayna, and she was won over. She was transformed into a Baha'u'llah's Tshuva. Yerushimayim enveloped her. 
She totally abandoned her ways. She accepted to become a Giyaris. She was accepted as a Giyaris. And she rose up to become the wife of Yeshua Benun. She went from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high because Kedusha can override Tumah in that way. It can overpower. It can destroy Tumah. And it did it in the most... This is the greatest destruction you can do to Tumah is to subvert it and make it Kedusha. To kill Tumah, to destroy Tumah, that's not the same as taking Tumah and causing it to see a Kaddish Baruch Rachel was open to that. Rachel was looking. She was ready to grow. Opened her eyes, and then Pinchas and Kalev streamed in, and she was overcome. And that was the Mulchama of Eretz Yisrael. It happened right now. It happened right here. That was the point of the Murago. This is what they accomplished. They came back to Yeshua, and they said, we can win this war. And you can tell everybody in Kalev Yisrael, this is exactly how the war is going to be won. The nations, they're scared of us. They're surrounded by this wall, this impenetrable wall. No one is able to penetrate the wall, but it doesn't make a difference. They are flattened with fear. The Moigu call out and they, they, they melted away. They have absolutely no ability to stand up against us. And when we expose the Tumah to Kedusha, the Tumah melts away. The Tumah is destroyed. And that is what the real war is. And we have just ascertained it works. We have just proven that the way we're going to proceed with this war is war, we are going to say strong in our amunah, strong in our betachan, strong in our kedusha. We're going to hold fast and they're not going to be able to stand up against us. The period of Nevi'im required Klal Yisrael to have an elevated level of betachan as well. There wasn't, there wasn't the betachan that was required in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu. And it wasn't even the betachan that was required in the war, in the conquest of Eretz Yisrael through Yeshua, which was also, even though they did have Klizayin, it was by and large conducted by a Kaddish Baruch. But then they moved on, they shifted, they land, they lived in Eretz Yisrael, they lived with Derech HaTeva, they planted crops, the Shechina was, could be seen, could be viewed in the base of Mikdash Harishin, the Nisim were open there, but it wasn't everywhere. But Nevi'im were everywhere. Nevi'im went around. And Nevi'im spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You had a person who spoke to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that demanded of them another level of betachan. And it's talk, the Ramban talks about it. It's in Parashas Bilchuk Kaysai. He says just a point, which is a beautiful point. Second, the second column here. Ba'aklal. When Klai Yisrael is at the way they're meant to be, they're shalem, they're perfect. Their, their lives don't really run with Tava. Not their bodies, not their land. Not with the whole of Klai Yisrael, and not the individuals. Bless their food, their parnasa. Their, and he'll remove sickness from them. They won't need a doctor. They won't have to take the precautions necessary to, 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 to be healthy. I'm going to be the one who heals you. 
This is what the tzaddikim would do during the time of Nevoah. They did an Avera, and therefore they became sick. There were doctors, but they would not go to a doctor. They would go to a Navi. When Chizkiyo got sick, he went to Yeshaya Navi. This was a taina against one of the Malchi Yehuda. That when he got sick, he didn't Hashem the Navi, he went to a, a doctor. And, and if it's true that they always went to doctors, but it was as if a person would say, You know what that guy did? He not only did he not eat matzah, he ate chametz. He ate chametz. When there was a Navi around, you didn't go to a doctor that was eating chametz. You went to a Navi. Anybody who served Hashem, what business was there going to a doctor? Promised us, Hakadosh Baruch Hu said, "I'm going to bless your food and your water, and I'm going to remove all sickness from you." The Rifim tried to figure out good foods. So the Ramban is telling us that in the time of the Nevi'im, there was also a tremendous level of betachin that was required. You have a Navi, go to a Navi. Don't try to figure out other ways. Go and find out the real thing that's going on here. Find out what area you did. Find out where your things are. Like Shaul HaMelech went to Nishmuel just to find out where his donkeys were. You went to a Navi for everything because you understood he's the conduit to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that was the stages of the Tachin as it diminished because the level of exposure they had to HaKadosh Baruch Hu was different. If you're so exposed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, much more the Tachin is demanded of you. And it's kind of a, it's a circle. The more B'Tachin you have, the closer you are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and the closer you are to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the more B'Tachin is demanded of you. And it's a method of growth. It's a method of growth. You have a little B'Tachin, HaKadosh Baruch Hu becomes closer, you can have more B'Tachin. HaKadosh Baruch Hu grants B'Tachin. It's a, it's a present from a Kaddish Baruch Hu when he comes closer to you, but once he comes closer to you, it becomes obligatory. And that was the, the style of, of Klai Yisrael's life throughout the Dara Midbar, then throughout the, say, the conquest of Eretz Yisrael, and then on a slightly lesser level throughout the, the period of Nevi'im. And that's why this parak that demonstrates how the conquest was going to go down, it was going to be Betachen against Tumah. Kedusha against Tumah. That was the only way it was going to work. And it could have worked in a more miraculous way. Would they have held on to their level as Dara Midbar? And it worked in a little less miraculous way. But throughout the period of Nevi'im, that level, obligation of Betachen was there because we were surrounded by Nevi'im. Have a, a good night and a wonderful week.